0: The first Bible reading this morning is chapter 2 in Song of Songs. Um, You will find that on page 548 of the Church Bibles. Song of Songs, chapter 2. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved. And be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. The second reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5. You can find that on page 949, um, beginning at verse 21. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, submit submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband.
1: Well, uh, thank you uh, once again for having me uh, for these three weeks as we spend our time together uh, in Song of Songs. Uh, Today we turn to our second look at the book, and uh, as we begin, uh, will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word to us, we thank you for your love for us, and we pray that as we turn to hear you speak, that you would be with us, help us to hear your voice clearly, uh, to love you more, and to live for you more, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so this morning uh, we are going to continue our series in Song of Songs, and we're going to focus on what God's word teaches us about how love and sex work in his world. So I'm going to speak quite plainly about our sex lives, and for some of us here, uh, you may think, do we really need to get that personal? It's a bit confronting, but I want to say we actually all need to hear more, on, more teaching on, from the Bible on sex, and keep on hearing it. Now, you remember uh, that scene, the key scene in the movie, The Matrix, where Morpheus offers Neo the choice, red pill or blue pill? That choice is going to take Neo down radically different paths and give him a radically different experience of life. One choice is easy and comfortable, but it's a lie and it keeps him enslaved. The other choice is hard and full of challenges, but gives him freedom and the satisfaction that only living in the truth can. Both God and the world offer us paths to sexual fulfillment, to great sex. But they are paths that are completely opposite to each other. The world says, I think, that it's all about the experience of the act. If it's passionate and it blows my socks off physically, that's great sex. That's the red pill. And that's why it doesn't matter in the end who exactly it's with. It can come from a chance meeting at a bar, uh, the work colleague or the friend's spouse it can even come from the device screen late at night or the building with the blacked-out windows. In fact, when you add in the danger and novelty and secrecy, there's actually a much better chance of having great sex outside of a relationship like marriage. In fact, you could even say that marriage is the blue pill. Comfortable, safe, but sex with the same woman, the same man, year after year after year. How could that be great sex? That's just—it's just boring. We even joke about our, sp- our spouse being called the ball and chain, don't we? And that's why Song of Songs is such a great book to be in the Bible because Song of Songs says that God knows what great sex really is. He designed us as sexual beings in the first place and he wants all of us, married or unmarried, to fight for great sex. But he also tells us that the world has it totally wrong. Really satisfying and exciting sex is only found within the bounds of a loving marriage as God intended it. That's the real red pill. That's the sex you really want. And sex outside of that context, that's the blue pill. It's unsatisfying and it's destructive. So let's hear from him now in Song of Songs how that is the case. And what I want to do in this talk is take us through how the book hangs together as a whole and then what it says about marriage, sex and love and finish with a challenge of its message. I should also mention very quickly that this talk needs to go hand in hand, particularly with next week's talk uh, where we're going to see how Song of Songs actually points to something greater than even sex. But right now we're going to focus on what Song of Songs says about sex and marriage. So hope you got the point last week, Song of Songs is mainly about the delight and the anticipation of a sexual relationship. Uh, but it's not just any old sex, it's sex as the physical expression of a lifelong commitment to one another. You see, essential as, as Song of Songs is, it's actually primarily not a celebration of sex, the celebration of the marriage relationship that lies at its heart. Now, if you took up my challenge to read through Song of Songs last week, you might have found following the flow of the book really difficult. It's not a narrative. It's a set of poems. And what complicates it even more is that some of the poems seem to be dreams. So if you have your uh, Bibles open at Song of Songs, that'd be great because we'll be flipping through the book today. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter Three, verse one, and there the beloved says, "All night long, on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. Now, uh, this could be a little bit like what happened to me on my honeymoon. Uh, Chrissy and I were given a night in a fancy hotel, and the room had a super king-sized bed. I think I spent about half an hour just trying to find where she was in it, so it could be this, but I think it's more likely that she's dreaming, or in chapter five, verse two, she says, "I slept." But my heart was awake. So trying to figure out what's a dream, what's real, just adds to the mix. But as far as we can tell, there are seven main sections in Song of Songs and they're arranged almost into a mirror image. It's in your outline. It's also on the screen there. So we have the title, which we saw last week we began with, The Ultimate Love Song. And then if you just scan your eyes through as I uh, cover the the, uh, sections, you'll see that in chapter 1, verse 2, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 7, There is this initial song, there is these initial songs of love and longing between the lover and his beloved. And it really sets the scene for the book. Then in the third section of the book, the lovers are joined first in chapters 2 to 8 up to about the beginning of chapter 3. But then suddenly they're separated. I looked for him, but I couldn't find him. Then in the center of the book, you have uh, this extended marriage and passionate commitment scene to each other, where you start with this vision of a wedding that looks like Solomon's wedding, but actually when the, the uh, groom comes out of the carriage, it is her beloved who speaks and promises himself to her in this passionate commitment to each other. That runs all the way through to chapter 5, verse 1. Then suddenly in chapter 5, verse 2, they're separated again but that's all right because eventually they're rejoined. Then in uh, chapter 6 verse 4 to 8 verse 4, you have more songs of longing, but this time it finishes with them coming together. And then the book concludes with uh, a reflection on the love that truly satisfies. So that's how I think the book hangs together as a whole. Now again, I suggested last week that Song of Songs isn't about Solomon himself. It's about a relationship he describes but doesn't himself have. And so in this ultimate love song, he doesn't tell of his many conquests or his own sexual prowess. Instead, he tells of this couple who, despite the fears and uncertainties of the world, have found real love. And how? Right at the center of the book is passionate, exclusive commitment to one another. It's like he says... You want real love, you want great sex, don't look at me. Look at them. One man, one woman, for life. That's the real deal. So I want to point out six things that Song of Songs tells us about marriage and sex. You'll need to add one to your outline Um, as we go. We'll get there um, at the end. Um, And then I want to apply them to us whether we are married or unmarried. I don't think any of these are new But I think our society is becoming so confused, it's worth laying down the foundations of a Christian view of marriage again, so that we can think clearly about it. On the other hand, I should also say that I'm actually not going to engage with our current debates in detail. Pete will actually preach a series on this specifically next year, so I'm just setting the foundations. And if you think that's a hospital pass, you're exactly right. (laughs) Now, I want to keep our focus on understanding Song of Songs as a book. And so we do need to do that with care, understand our debates with sensitivity, as well as a firm commitment to God's word. So Pete's series is going to be very important for that. But let's turn our attention specifically to what Song of Songs says about love and sex and marriage. So the first thing that to note is that Song of Songs says that marriage is between a man and a woman. Okay? It should go without saying, it doesn't anymore in our society, so it needs to be said again. A man and a woman naturally, physically complement one another. And this is not a biological accident. It is a God-intentioned design for the human race. Song of Songs doesn't specifically state this, but it undergirds the whole thing. Now, our society wants us to believe that there are no basic differences between men and women except for a little bit of plumbing. So in the end, it doesn't matter if a bloke has sex with another bloke or a woman has sex with another woman. There's no real difference, so do whatever with whoever as long as it feels good. But no, with our good at heart and with great care, God made us male and female as the only appropriate sexual coupling. Now, you may be someone or know someone who struggles with something like same-sex attraction. And I want to say first up that God loves you and we love you regardless of your orientation. And the Bible says that the orientation is not the sin. There is a difference between what you feel and what you do with your feelings in your actions and in your heart. I also want to say that you are not alone. I have friends who experience same-sex attraction and their desire to honour God and keep submitting their sexuality to his word, especially when it's difficult at times, is so encouraging. So if that is you, then keep trusting in God's love for you and keep striving to live by his word to you. And for all of us, wouldn't it be wonderful if Norwest Anglican was a family where those who experienced same-sex attraction felt safe safe, and supported in living for God, where truth and love went hand in hand, strengthening all of us. But for that to happen, we need to start with a basic truth that the only sexual relationship that bears God's stamp of approval is a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman. Secondly, it's not just any man and woman. That is, they don't spot each other in a bar and think, I'd like a piece of that and end up in bed together. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, towards the end of our reading this morning my lover is mine and i am his or flip over to chapter 7 verse 10 sorry i'm suddenly chapter 7 verse 10 where she says i belong to my beloved and his desire is for me you see it's a mutual exclusive commitment And it is a lifelong jealousy for the sole affection of the other. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as unyielding as the grave. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish until death do us part. I am hers. She is mine. I am His, He is mine, no matter what. That is the context for real love, and we know it when we see it, don't we? Uh, in 2006, or recently, the ABC, in fact, more recently, uh, the ABC ran a special on the best of the documentary Australian Story. The most popular show in the uh, sorry, the most popular in the show's history was about the love between a husband and a wife. In 2002, newlywed Gail Shan almost died in a farm machinery accident. She survived, but she lost her right arm, and her left arm was left completely paralyzed. The story starts with a close-up of Gail putting makeup on, but as the camera pulls up, you see it's actually her husband, Max Hand, doing it. And there's a voiceover there, I've learned to do all the girly things for her. When he was asked about being burdened with Gail's disabilities at such a young age, Max's answer was, When you get married, you take them in sickness and in health. So this is the hand I've been dealt, and that's how I'm going to play it. We love each other the bits. I'd do anything for her. Lifelong, committed, passion for each other, to do good to each other in every circumstance. That's marriage as God intended it. And it's moving when we see it, isn't it? We know it's the real thing. So marriage is exclusive, lifelong commitment. That actually leads me to the next point, and that is marriage is lifelong friendship. See, one of the things that people often miss about Song of Songs is that while a lot of the book is sexual in nature, a lot of it isn't. And so if you scan your eyes across the central poem of chapter 4, verse 8, sorry, uh, yes, chapter 4, verse 8 to 5, verse 2, You'll see there that alongside calling her his bride, the lover repeatedly calls his beloved sister, which is obviously a term of purely relational intimacy. Or in chapter 5, verse 16, the beloved, the woman concludes her poem, this is my lover, this is my friend. And even when sex is talked about in Song of Songs, it's not really a sex manual. It's much more delicate and suggestive than explicit and raunchy. So at the beginning of our reading in chapter 2, verse 3, the uh, beloved says, um, I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Now, some people give a very precise anatomical description of this. But I think it's much more likely just to say that she likes the thought of kissing her lover. He tastes good. Or in chapter 5, verse 4, And there the the beloved says, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my lover and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. Again, some people take this as describing particular sex practices and orgasm. But I think it's better to take it as that sense of excitement. You know, your heart beating faster when you hear the key in the door of your loved one coming home to you. So in the end, you can read explicit sexual activity into almost any metaphor in Song of Songs, animals, spices, plants, whatever. But I think that's a little bit like the kid at school who just managed to find innuendo in whatever you said, you know, oh, she's got a nice set of pomegranates there, <laughs> something like that. But I think, All these metaphors are just different ways, actually, of talking about satisfaction and pleasure. It obviously includes the prospect of sexual enjoyment, but it's much more. They just love being with each other. In fact, it's not even clear if the lovers actually sleep together at any point in the book. Because, and I think this in some ways is the most important point in interpreting the book, Song of Songs says marriage is much more than just sex. It is about deep, lifelong friendship. And in fact, the book ends not with eroticism, but with affection. Uh, One commentator puts it beautifully. At the climax of the song, there is no climaxing. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5. There the friends speak, and they say, Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? Picture her, head resting on the side of his chest, his arm around her. That's where Song of Songs leaves us. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? Closeness, security, dependence on each other. And it works whether here the lovers are 25 just beginning their life together or 85 and reminiscing about old times. So Song of Songs says, work hard on being friends with your spouse you're not just sexual partners economic partners or even parental partners you are brother and sister you are best friends for life the real bffs so it's a challenge for us isn't it do you need to sow more affection into your marriage more caresses and cuddles on the couch in front of the TV. More hand-holding. More aimless chats and laughter. Don't just touch each other when you want to get something going on in the bedroom. Lean on each other as you walk through life together. That's what Song of Songs tells us. One pastor I know of when he meets with a married man in his church will ask them, do you love your wife? And the answer is always, of course. But then he asks, and do you like her? And the answers he gets are more mixed. I'm sure it would be the same where the women being asked about their husbands too. So let me ask you the question. Do you like your spouse? Could you say they're your brother, your sister, your friend? If you can say yes, praise God and keep building it. If you have trouble answering that question, Maybe you need to invest some more time, some more effort, some more money into finding some fun stuff to do together, to being good friends. Because in the end, Song of Songs gives us a picture of mature intimacy, one that teaches that it's affection, not eroticism, that will sustain a marriage. But what about sex? What does Song of Songs have to say about that? Well, plenty. Plenty. It's hugely positive about sex. And there is something, I think, in the main metaphor of Song of Songs being gardens and fruit. Because this couple, in all their unashamed commitment, should remind us of another couple. The first couple, Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. Song of Songs reminds us of the goodness of sex as God created and intended it. And there, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, uh, the husband will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In other words, sex is the physical expression of a relationship of unity. That means the main purpose of sex is to be like glue. It is wonderful, relational, super glue. Two people united in serving each other with their bodies, to reflect how they love and serve each other in everything. That is sex, how it's supposed to be. And yes, it's exciting, and it should be adventurous. And in the context of your marriage, I think Song of Songs does invite creativity into your sex life. But it should be much more than that. Now flip over to chapter 8, verse 10. Sorry? Uh, 8, verse 10, yes, right. And there the woman says, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. How can Solomon end Song of Songs with this picture of contentment, which in Hebrew is the word for peace or shalom, when everything is whole and right with the world? How can a man who has 700 wives and 300 concubines say this? I think it's because he knows that after all the women, he's had lots of sex, but no contentment, no wholeness, no shalom, no peace. And at this point, I don't think you can't help but think of the Rolling Stones song, Satisfaction. That was Solomon's life. Lots of women, lots of sex, no satisfaction. You see, the best sex is not the most physically mind-blowing. That's just a sensation that lasts a brief moment and then it's gone. And that's why sexual experience can never satisfy. It's there and then it's gone and you have to keep seeking it again and again and it becomes like an addiction. And every time as it dawns on you that this time won't be it either, you get less and less able to give yourself to your partner. And so it gets less and less enjoyable and satisfying. Now, the best sex, really great sex, is when you are devoted to serving the one who is devoted to serving you for life. Because then you have time to really get to know each other and how you specifically work. And so they become the best person in the world at being able to bring together everything, mental, emotional, physical, to do good to you. And because you can trust that they are giving themselves to serve you in body, that frees you to give yourself to serve them in body. And when that happens, sex does its wonderful job properly. It bonds you in intimate service of each other as one. And that's why when it's fireworks one time and plain hard work the next, as it can be, that is all great sex. Because in different ways, both demonstrate your commitment to love and serve each other. And that's also why sometimes the best sex, if your spouse is exhausted or they've just had a horrible day, may be making them a cup of tea and giving them a foot massage. Because that says to your spouse, I am here to serve you sexually. And it would clearly not serve you sexually to make you jump in bed with me right now. So, peppermint. chamomile. And that's the sort of sex that Song of song celebrates. Sex where each partner is totally, joyfully devoted to serving the other and doing their body good. That's the sort of sex that brings shalom, peace, and contentment. All right, we've got to move on quickly. I'm almost out of time. Very quickly, uh, I hope it's clear that something as precious as the relationship in song the songs, ought to be passionately guarded. And that comes through in two ways in the song. The first is the refrain of the song. For example, in chapter 2, verse 7. I read it last week and there it says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It's there again in chapter 3, verse 5, and in chapter 8, verse 4. And in some ways, I think this is the main message of the book. Until you're committed in lifelong faithfulness, don't muck around with sexual attraction. So if you're not married, don't put yourself in positions of sexual temptation. If you're not in a relationship, be patient. Shape yourself into a godly future partner and trust God to provide all your needs. If you are in a relationship but not married, help each other to be godly. And stay pure until in God's sight it's right to awaken that side of your love. Secondly, what if you are married? Well, chapter 2, verse 15 speaks to us. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin our vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Uh, Marriage involves two sinful people and so we need to work hard on nurturing your vineyard and getting rid of anything that spoils you, feasting on it together. So be determined to be honest to be gracious, to be patient, to be forgiving and to give each other hope. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that the devil loves to use our sex lives against us to drive us apart rather than bring us together. And I don't need to tell you that in the wrong hands, sex is a terrible weapon that does awful damage to people and relationships. So don't let him do it. Be determined to serve and care for each other in soul and Mind and body. And that can be very challenging, very painful, long term work sometimes. That's relationships, isn't it? But it is completely worth it, so work at it. Well, I think I better leave the last one. Uh, we didn't get there quite in the end, but that's okay. Let's uh, jump to uh, uh, red pill or blue pill. I started with the choice between the red pill and the blue pill. Uh, One is easy and comfortable, but keeps you enslaved and is ultimately destructive. The other is challenging and can be hard, but will bring freedom and satisfaction. The world says when it comes to great sex, the experience is the key. You could say that the world's gospel is that passionate sex will lead to great and satisfying love. But God says it's the other way around. Passionate, serving love will lead to great, satisfying sex. And if you're still in any doubt about it, think, which of those two options sounds more like it would come from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? And when you remember that in his death on the cross, Jesus totally devoted himself to serving us to do us the greatest good, and don't you think you can trust his word will be the best way for us to live in this area? I'm going to pick this up more next week. But let me finish. Sexy love is serving love. I've got time for one or two questions if people have them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, yes? Uh, okay. It is sex, uh, marriage is bigger than the two of us. Have a very quick look at um, uh, chapter 8, verses 8 to 9. Uh, and, and bear in mind that uh, even though the lovers seem to be really keen to try and carve out some private space, the friends are always there awkwardly, like, hello, we're still here. But I think this is very intentional. That is, they don't speak for their own benefit, first and foremost. They actually speak for the benefit of others. Um, and that comes to a fore in chapter 8, verses 8 to uh, Yep, chapter 8, verses 8 to 9. Where the friends say, We have a little sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What should we do for, her, for our sister on the day that she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. Sounds very strange, doesn't it? What it means is, um, uh, yes, uh, it, it's a word of saying, Before this sister is ripe for love, we will protect her. And so this couple, their friends, everybody listening, it's all actually a concerted effort to guard and preserve our young ones so that they can experience in time, verse 10, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. So I actually think it's a word for all of us to take care particularly of our young ones, to guard them from the absolute muck that is around them that says, throw yourself around, throw your body around in this vain attempt to find great sex. It says, no, keep yourself for that day when you can say, I have found contentment, I bring contentment. Does that make sense?